0: Hey guys, thank you for tuning in to another episode of The Naturalist Capitalist. If you're new here, please subscribe to the channel. If you're watching this on YouTube live or after the live stream, I'll have this up on Odyssey within a couple of days. And if you prefer to listen to it in audio format instead of video, you can find it on uh, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, a few other places. And then there's tons of different social media sites that you could follow me at. And they are all listed in the description. Anyway, we've uh, we've got the Reno Convention for the Libertarian Party coming right up around the corners, just a couple weeks from now. So, on the other end of the line, I've got Angela Mcardle uh, here to talk about what the convention is going to be comprised of, and what we hope for outcomes, and uh, what we can hope to see in the Libertarian Party in the future. So, Angela, thanks for joining me tonight.
1: Thanks for having me on.
0: Absolutely. So it seems like things are, you know, shaping up in a good way. I mean, yeah. just from people I've talked to, it seems like the the state parties are kind of going in the direction we would want them to. I could speak for Utah personally. Uh we're I mean, we're kind of lucky in Utah. We're not dealing with a lot of the bullshit the uh, the infighting that a lot of other states are, but Uh, most of the delegates are, uh, Mises caucus guys. And then the guys who aren't Mises caucus are certainly not opposed to anything we want to do. So, um, I'm feeling optimistic, but how are you feeling in general? Are you feeling good about everything leading up to the convention or you wish things were different or what do you think?
1: I'm feeling really optimistic. I feel really good about everything right now. So let's see, it's, Today it's it's May 10th, and you know we've got less than three weeks. We're we're really close. Um, I don't know what's going to happen between now and then. I anticipate that people who are very angry about how great things are going are going to try to throw something at us at the last minute, and there's going to be crazy stuff. Uh, I don't know what it is. I don't. I haven't heard any rumors, but with the exception of that kind of unknown thing, I'm very optimistic. Things look good. People are really adjusting to what's going to be a, a massive change in leadership and a shift in direction. And uh, you know, I'm ready for it, man. Like I've been prepping for a year and a half. Like let's let's rock and roll. It's time to do the thing.
0: Yeah, absolutely. So, what positions are up for election in uh, during the convention? For people who don't know, like what what's going on? What type okay. of leadership roles are changing?
1: So literally every position is up for election this year. Now, sometimes judicial committee is not up for election, but it is this year. So that would really be the only difference. There's always a major changing of the guard every two years. So I'll run through some of them really quick. Chair, vice chair, secretary treasurer. There's five at-large positions, just like general board positions. And then there are regional representative positions. And there are eight of those up for grabs as of right now. Now it's possible, I don't think it's likely, but it's possible that could change and one more regional representative could could eke into existence at some point if if the states shake things up, but we won't know till we get closer to the date.
0: So is this a bigger convention than usual as far as the number of people that are going to be present as far as delegates go and everything?
1: Yeah, it's, this is as big as the, as the presidential year. This is wild. It's, I think it's really encouraging and exciting that in 2018, for context, when I went to the convention in, where was that? New Orleans. And I was the California uh, state party secretary. We didn't even fill all of our spots. We showed up and I was just kind of embarrassed people a lot of people signed up and just totally flaked didn't even give us a heads up I think we had 76 or 77 spots and you know we had over 100 available so it's like you got you got at least 25 people just straight up flaking this year this year we've got every spot filled and maybe 70 alternate spots so it's and that's what it's like in a lot of states there are only a handful of states that have had any openings and they're talking about shifting a lot of their alternates up it's it's going to be jam-packed this year
0: yeah that's uh certainly the case with utah i remember everyone saying that they couldn't believe how many people had come to the state convention and were going to reno so that's really really great um so what are we hoping to see in reno as far as a restructure goes i mean what I mean, just for anyone who doesn't really understand the power struggle that's been going on in the Libertarian Party uh, for the last few years. Uh, what is it that the Mises Caucus and you really want to change about the way the party's being run and the way the messaging has been done? What what are we hoping? Um, what are we hoping to be able to do after Reno if everything goes in the direction we want?
1: Man, I my list is so long. So the obvious things that everybody's already familiar with is you're going to see a major change in messaging coming from the national party. And a lot of that focuses on Twitter, but I got to tell you, it's a lot more than Twitter, right? You go to lp.org, scroll down, see the press releases and the news articles, little blog things that we put up. A lot of them are really underwhelming. Um, the email marketing campaigns, uh, you know, not throwing shade on the people who put them together. I think they need help. Uh, the marketing is a little rough. Messaging is not very compelling. We end up pr- doing things like promoting state party candidates without even talking to the states about it, and they get all upset. So there's all this like kind of less less exciting than you know like the stuff that's on the surface. All that stuff is changing. Uh, we're gonna have what There's so many things, man the way that we behave in, in meetings, that's going to change. And I know that a lot of people like, you know, like the, the, the bombastic uh, screeching and then drama when it's used to re to rebuke some of the woke establishment elements in the party, but we're going to become, oh, I don't know, maybe functional again, Uh, do meaningful work instead of just spending hours on end, just fighting and fighting and talking past each other and screaming and it's just, you know, embarrassing the national party. So no more embarrassing behavior. That's going to go out the door. We're going to work smarter, right? We're going to have strategic planning. We're going to actually have a plan and a general idea of what we're doing. This should all be incredibly low-hanging fruit, but it's, it's things that don't happen at the national level right now. So I'm really excited to just professionalize and do that While we're also pushing like a really radical principled libertarian message, growing our membership and making the party more welcoming to, I don't know, libertarians.
0: Yeah. So let's say things don't go the way we want them to, uh, partially or completely. It ends up just being a flop and we're blindsided and the other side wins. Uh, What do we do then? We join the Republican Party or become agorists or stay in the party and keep fighting what is what, what, what do you think we're going to do if that ends up being the case
1: let's break down a few different scenarios so let's say that things don't go exactly how we want but we've still got a majority on the board and i think that we're going to have a super majority quite frankly if we have a majority on the board things are going to be much more productive i'm going to be able to place some committee appointments that's right now that power rests with the chair so I won't be filling every single person on every subcommittee, but I'll be able to make quite a considerable impact even just by myself. So that's going to happen. Uh, we're going to lean on the majority. We're going to do things that absolutely are essential and need to be done. I don't anticipate that we're going to you know, gut the whole staff and, and replace everybody. That's That's not really on my plan. But I do anticipate that there are going to be at least a couple of people who probably rage quit. So we'll be filling those positions with people who are friendly and to the Mises caucus and experienced in their jobs. What a concept. Uh, (laughs) Now, I know, I know, man. Uh, And we're going to fill them with libertarians. What what another crazy concept. We're not going to go picking off and begging from, you know, failed democratic operatives. That's not happening. No. So that would be how we would handle it if you get a Mises majority, but not a supermajority. I really, uh, I mean, I'll, I'll level with you. I don't think that it's possible for us to get less than a majority. I don't want to give a, an aggressive detailed breakdown of our delegate count because that would be a poor strategic move. You know, Sunzu, mm-hmm. you know, don't telegraph your moves to your uh, opposition, but we have a majority. We have a majority of the delegates. Anybody who's smart and has been paying attention to how the state convention goes can see that. We have a really large chunk of alternates too. There's really no way around that unless someone were to do something totally insane, like light the building on fire. So please don't burn down uh, the convention building. That would be a terrible move. That would be that would be very rude. That would be very rude and psychopathic. So uh, you know, if we do that, then we're going to hold our convention in the in the parking lot. If, if somebody does something insane like that, we're going right out onto the parking lot. We're going to finish business. But please yeah. don't.
0: Oh, geez. Jose Gallison says we'll have our own January 6th. So,
1: <laughs> yep. Yep. We're going to, we'll, we will be uh storming the parking lot.
0: <laughs> uh, so the system is down. Uh. That's Dan Smots. He says, Do you vow to give Michael Malice the keys to LP Twitter? I'm holding my candidates accountable.
1: Okay. So I can't vow it yet because he's got to be 100% on board with it. And the last conversation I had with him, he was. But I can't, I can't chain, I can't chain Michael Malice to the Twitter, but I can offer it up. I can offer it and I can be like, please run with this, go rock our worlds. And and so I'm very, I'm very open to that. I want to do it. I I have to make sure that all of our ducks in a row and that he'll actually do it.
0: Gotcha. You can lead a horse to water, but you can't make him drink. So you can lead a
1: Michael Malice to Twitter, but no one can tell Michael Malice explicitly what to do.
0: Exactly. <laughs> so, um, assuming everything does go the way we want, uh, what does the rest of 2022 look like as far as supporting our candidates, trying to get behind winnable races? Uh, whom are you interested in that looks promising? you know, across the country. Uh, I'm moving back to New Hampshire and I'm going to be working on Jeremy Kaufman's campaign. That's definitely someone that I'd like to see the party finally give some support to because right now he basically doesn't exist in their eyes. But what do you think? What types of, uh, what specific races, if you know any off the top of your head, are you very interested in? And what do you expect the Libertarian Party to be able to produce this year?
1: Uh, Shane Hazel's campaign definitely needs a boost. So, and let's break down why. And, and I'm not going to gloss over Jeremy Kaufman. We'll get to him. We'll get to sure. his excellent viral marketing campaigns. Um, <laughs> lizard people, lizard people. Anyway, so, so what should national do? What should state parties like do? You know, to a certain extent, like they're they're going to do what they're going to do, right? But I want to encourage them to do things that are going to be as productive as possible. And so, Shane's campaign, Shane. He's in a state that has really crappy ballot access. He's in a swing state. So those are things that actually get him into the news, uh, which is great. He's a veteran. He's a veteran and he speaks against war. So that's like left-right appeal, right? Well, ideally, unless you're a a neocon leftist fusion and then you hate him, but that's okay. Uh, We would capitalize on their hatred and tears. He's been going really hard on cryptocurrency. That's another thing that we need to be focusing on at the national level. So those are the sort of campaigns we need to elevate. Oh, and you know we're kind of dealing with this like war thing going on right now in the Ukraine. So yet again, like a very hot button sensitive, timely issue. And I think Harrison Kemp is running for governor in Maine. Yes. And he has done a really good job on advancing defend the guard legislation. So that's kind of related too. so I feel like we need to really get things like that going and and connect the dots and and help boost our candidates in a way that's like meaningful, and that real people can relate to. So I can't think of anyone off the top of my head. But if we get someone who's speaking out really aggressively about inflation, and they're managing to like really push it at the local level and get some news clips, that would be great. We really need to talk about that. It's People are having trouble buying groceries. They're broke. It sucks. Put a gas in my car in Southern California. It's over $6 a gallon. This is awful. These are the things we need to talk about at the national level. And having our candidates do it is obviously, you know, like like an easy way to advance that. Uh, Jeremy Kaufman, his war is gay video was amazing. That we We could sneak that in when we're talking about war. I know people don't like. Four or five of his awful, scary tweets, can we, for just a moment, can we acknowledge that's like four or five tweets, statements someone made that you don't like. Look at everything else that he does. Mm -hmm. It was pretty incredible. So maybe we can kind of like check ourselves, dial back our emotions and acknowledge that he's doing some really incredible work. His lizard person video that just really, that was amazing. We need to be every time that Joe Biden looks like a, a demon possessed reptilian alien, which is like three quarters of his interviews. Like we just need to be yeah. hitting hitting with that, hit with that. We need to weaponize Jeremy Kaufman. I know people are t- oh my gosh, Jeremy. Yeah, but well, then fine, treat him like a tactical nuke and throw him whenever you need to.
0: Yeah, yeah, hundred percent. am you know, I I think. Um, the the biggest tragedy of the Libertarian Party recently, as, as long as I've been watching it, has been the unwillingness to weaponize talent, like you're describing here. I mean, you know, I voted for Joe and uh, Spike, and I really did like Spike a lot. I, I, I love Spike. Uh, and Joe is just, I don't know, like, she's whatever. But um, <laughs> the best part about that campaign... Was the two ads that I think I think Dan spots made both of them, the War yep. is Over ad and the War on Drugs ad. Those were amazing. And I shared them with everyone. And the fact that they didn't just exploit the hell out of that skill and use that as much as they could was just infuriating to me. It was like, why are we not dropping ads like this all the time? And you know, when <laughs> I think uh they spent what, fifteen thousand dollars? on an ad against mandates last year and Dan Smots put a video together in an afternoon or whatever, and it got way more views. So just this whole bureaucracy that doesn't want to you know, push good material to the top, it would be incredible to see that go away and see people who actually care about it come in and replace them.
1: Oh yeah. And we're absolutely gonna lean on Dan Smots for content and pay him and pay him well, while at the same time, I don't know, save a lot of money because we're not going to be paying who the heck knows to use boring stock footage and to disappoint all of our members. And then we're going to, you know, this is going to blow your mind. We're going to do a little bit of research to figure out where we should play those videos so that they can have the most meaningful impact. What a concept. Market demographic studies, understanding where we should actually play them so that they reach the most people and we get the most positive feedback. Those are some things you know waiting in the wings. Super excited, super excited to have Dan doing content. There are a couple other people who also create really good content, so we're going to be rotating them into. um, Yeah, we have so many really good messengers in the party. There's no reason to not utilize them.
0: Yeah, and then I mean, it seems to me to be a tragedy that in the past, you know, no one's from the party has reached out to Phil LeBont. Or to, uh, you know, Eric July until recently with the, I know he was in Texas, but I think that was the Mises Caucus that reached out to him. Like all these well-known libertarians that exist who have millions of fans, you know, they're just ignored. And it seems like that's a giant waste too.
1: It's a giant waste. I mean, the least we can do, the least we can do is get some graphic quotes from these guys. Culture is just like, it's so important. And I feel like one of the main failures of the libertarian party, old guard, whatever you want to call it, establishment is that they just totally reject cultural influence. It's like they, they see libertarians who are making a meaningful impact in the world. And they're like, no, no, let's not do that. Let's go talk to these people who don't like us and they hate us. Let's try it. let's try to appeal to them by adopting their, their rhetoric and their talking points that that behavior is going to be gone. We're not going to see any more of that.
0: Yeah. So if we see the Republicans or the Democrats occasionally doing something good, um, are we going to try to encourage them in that direction? So if there's a, so I'll, I'll use Marjorie Taylor green as an example, like she's been, I mean, she sucks on some stuff. Don't get me wrong, but she's been really, really great on a lot of really important issues uh, right now So it seems to me that when libertarians Never point at someone and say Hey that's good that that person is doing this Like I remember in 2020 with Tulsi Gabbard It was really hard to get libertarians to even admit That she was saying anything good That seems to be a problem That we've had Do you Would you like to see libertarians Or the libertarian party praise um, You know someone other than Liz Cheney <laughs> When they're doing something good uh, And you know try to Encourage the people that are either liberal or conservative to at least be as good as their good liberal or conservative politicians are within their parties.
1: Yeah, you you, you have to. When someone does a good job, you tell them good job. It, it, when LP National sends out a good tweet, I'm like like retweet. Good job, yeah. please do that. And when someone does an absolute garbage, like when they have just put out trash, you have to tell them. You know, Marjorie Taylor Greene being anti-war, awesome. Let's tell her that's awesome. Let's remind her that if she says something about Taiwan or defending, you know, like, yeah, right. you know, yeah, be consistent. Be, remind yeah. them to be consistent. When she says stupid things about the drug war, you know, be like, no, but we also don't need to like, jump on people when they make mistakes and literally crucify them. Now, if we're talking about Mitch McConnell or Liz Cheney, please crucify them on social media. Yeah. But but people who are getting it right more often than not, we need to try to encourage that behavior. Definitely.
0: Yeah. So, I mean, some people um have just gotten sick of the Libertarian Party over the last couple years like they 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 want they they believed in it in the beginning and then you know things just got so bad that they decided, okay, I can't really do this anymore. I mean, I, I I've got friends who after the 2020 election were really interested in the Libertarian Party, but <laughs> then they just see the incessant infighting and squabbles over really, really stupid stuff, and they're just like, you know what, I just can't do this. Like, I just I just can't keep up with it anymore. Um, what would you do to try to unify the party? Like, I mean, I know we're hoping that the, uh, you know, the the takeover is basically complete in Reno, but it's, I mean, there are going to be people who disagree and they're all, even if all the Mises caucus positions get filled, there's still going to be people within the Mises caucus that disagree on all sorts of stuff. So as chair, what are you going to try to do to give the Libertarian party some sort of cohesion So that we're attractive to people, not just based on what we're saying, but, you know, that we don't seem like we hate each other all the time or that we're enemies because we disagree on intellectual property laws or something stupid like that.
1: So one of the first things is encourage a mass exodus of everyone from any Libertarian Party national Facebook group. Mass exodus. (laughs) You don't have to leave the party. But you should leave all those toxic Facebook groups. I'll be making an example after Reno. Leave, leave, leave. Turn off notifications. Block the group, whatever it is. Uh, When people just sit online and argue with each other, that's not a great way to spend your time. It's really not. Um, You're not fighting the state. I understand you think you're fighting losers. Sometimes you are. But don't, you know, don't let them live rent-free in your head. Those people suck and just, you know, let them suck by themselves. And so when, so post Reno, post takeover, there's going to be a great cry. The re that was heard around the universe, the disturbance and the re force. That's okay. You know, we're going to just let it happen. It's going to happen. People are going to be very upset for at least a couple of weeks. And then it's going to start to die down as we see, uh, The the worst haters, the most toxic people leave the party. Fine. And then some of the fighting is going to continue to die down because a lot of the people pushing it are going to be gone. What we have to do ultimately, though, is move the center of their focus. So instead of arguing about who your Facebook friends with and who someone follows on Twitter and their mean tweets, we need to move shift the competition to who's actually doing meaningful work. Who is the best candidate? Who's running a sucky campaign? You know, No offense, but occasionally we have some sucky campaigns. Hey, I, I had a kind of sucky campaign in 2017. I'll be the first to admit. That's what we need to be fighting over. Who's actually the best at their job? Not like who hurt your feelings on Facebook. And if we can start to shift that focus a little bit, I think you're going to see some of the worst elements of infighting go down.
0: Yeah. So uh, one of the criticisms I've gotten from my agorist friends is that even if you do, you know, reshape the party, how do you maintain that course? So I I had Reed Cooley on my show the other day and he was talking about Young Americans for Liberty and how they've been subverted by kind of woke, neoconservative, progressive leaning people. And that he thinks, you know, it's beyond repair. And so he's suggesting people leave young Americans for liberty, stop donating to them, whatever. How do we keep the Libertarian Party from becoming the same thing again if we are successful in remaking it?
1: Well, you got to keep the pressure on and you got to keep the right people attending. So... Man, the thing with Yao, I feel so bad when I hear about it. And I've spoken with Reed about it. It basically got infected by the LP. That is, it feels so gross to know that the thing I'm working to reform, when when bad elements moved, they went out and infected something else like a virus. So deepest apologies there. Uh, Really sorry. We're going to be, there's going to be more people like that who leave though. So other organizations need to be on guard. Like you need to defend your ideological positions and don't let people into positions of leadership. If they're praising Liz Cheney, this is a really basic litmus test litmus test. Does someone love Liz Cheney? Don't, don't invite them in dude. No, especially if you're a private organization. So, you know, the LP is not a private organization and there's been a lot of talk about how it should be run that way. That's not something I'm going to be able to tackle in the next even four years of my race. So everybody watching this for the scary gossip, you know, like just chill out, you know, I can't change the bylaws to make it totally private, just relax. But that would be the better thing to do. And what we can start doing is actually, instead of changing everything like that, is just kind of taking ownership of our organization and using better judgment about who we invite in. I, I want as many people to vote libertarian as possible. That doesn't mean that I want every disaffected Democrat joining the party and getting in a position of leadership. That's a stupid idea. I don't want uh, washed up neocons like Joe Walsh joining the party and trying to be our candidate. Stupid idea. If people like Lincoln Chafee want to join our party and actually become libertarian and unlearn whatever their disgusting status programming is, I'm all for it. They're not getting at the top of the ticket. No, no. No. We got to do a better job of like welcoming people in, but not elevating them so fast. I think part of it is kind of this desperate loser energy that we've had, where we're so desperate to get people into the party that we just take anyone and then we want to make them feel really good. So we're like, oh, you're a progressive and you're really excited about supporting trans rights and you understand free market economics. You're going to look great. Oh, but you also want Medicare for all, and you think that we should support Ukraine. Uh, well, that's okay. We'll just overlook it. We'll elevate you because you're going to be such a unique little fl- no. Stop, please stop. We can find some. We can find a trans person who doesn't be- believe that we should have war and government health care. If if we really got to go there, like we could do that. We could find someone of every background to make us look very special, and you know welcoming and accepting who doesn't believe in su- supporting wars for empire jeez so that's like the basics
0: yeah i think that's a learning curve that i've gone through over the last uh, year and a half or so because i kind of was like that like you know if uh, if someone has libertarian leanings like i'd want them to join the party and then if they yeah. were you know really well known like yeah we want publicity so we got to elevate them that was the way i thought a year and a half ago and I've realized that doesn't work. (laughs) It's just based on who's in the party already and, you know, how hard it is to deal with them.
1: Right. It's like we come across sometimes as desperate and like we have low self-esteem and like we're paranoid that people think we're mean bigots. So then we'll elevate someone up like within the party because they check a box, you know, Mm -hmm. or they, they look a certain way or, oh, like, we need a gay person, we need a person of color, we need this or that, like, what we really need are principled individuals. And if we can just kind of cool our jets on the checking every little woke identity politics box, what I've discovered is that we actually do get people from broad demographics, we don't have to actually rush it, because it turns out, oh, people are independent thinkers, and people of all backgrounds end up finding their way to the Libertarian Party, we don't have to like, rush that.
0: Yeah, no, I agree. And also, you know, I mean, I know a lot of left wingers who voted for Ron Paul. um, And I know a lot of right wingers who voted for Tulsi. And it wasn't because either of them were trying to pander to either side. It was just if you say what you believe and you're impressive, like people will overlook their disagreements to support you. So, you know, I, I feel like that was the big flop of the gary johnson and the joe jorgensen campaigns as it wasn't just being a firebrand on something it was almost like just trying to appeal to yeah. both sides and then neither side finds you appealing it's like tom wood says in my intro if you're just going to state commonplaces you're just selling the other parties so like we might yeah. as well be radically different than both of them
1: and i mean think about how that goes over with your friends if you're just like a two-faced liar who says you know with the best intentions anything to make everyone happy all you end up doing is just pissing everyone off and everyone thinks like you are a person of no integrity and your word is meaningless so we should carry those basic values into candidacy and, and the people who represent the party
0: yeah so if the party continues to grow after 2022 into 2024 what are what's your best case scenario for 2024 do you think we could get some federal representation in the house or the senate or something um do you view the libertarian party as being a spoiler to try to force the democrats or republicans to be a little bit better are we just there as a middle finger to say you both suck and here's another option and so you can just throw your name on this ballot if you want or are we all three or what are you hoping for by 2024 what do you think is a realistic Uh, picture of what we could be by that time.
1: I don't think we're going to be any of those things in two years. What I think we're going to do is we're going to run a really strong messaging campaign at the presidential level. And for the first time in a very long time, we're going to start building a long-term strategy. So what I would like to see happen and, and what I'm very hopeful and optimistic that will happen is that our presidential campaign is going to really work to help fill our local libertarian affiliates, county and state parties, with people who actually believe in libertarianism. They're they're either libertarians who haven't joined the party yet or they're people who have been red-pilled by all this bullshit that we've lived through in the last couple of years. And when we have that, that means that we can run more effective local campaigns and make serious wins at the local level. And it's so critical, man. Like it's so critical to win at the local level because those are the people, especially in blue states, who have been able to defy tyrannical governors and say, no, we're not enforcing state level lockdowns. We're going to look the other way. We're not sending the police out to ticket people for masks and that kind of crap. That's what I want to see happen in 2024. If we want to get someone elected at the federal level, we've got to start thinking about it realistically. It may take eight years to get someone elected. We need to do local and then you need to do state level, you know, state assembly. And honestly, you got to look at it carefully. We need people to like dig into the data. something I'm doing in California. What races are winnable? Everybody wants to run a vanity campaign and and that's fine. And you have to do it sometimes in certain states that are struggling with ballot access. But for those of us who've already got ballot access secured, like let's start focusing on more meaningful campaigns so that we can actually win those state level campaigns in the future.
0: Yeah. So um, how long do you uh, want to do this for? Is the chair just two, is it reelected every two years? Is yeah. that how it works or how long do you plan on doing it for? Uh, are you just gonna reassess at the end of each two year period or what do you think?
1: So I'm open to two terms. Um, I'm of, I'm of two different minds about three terms. And, and I'm not inclined to do it, but let me explain why. I think that once you have run something for more than four years, you start to really take ownership of it. And sometimes that can be unhealthy. And I think that's why we saw Nick Sarwark become so unhinged in his last term. You know, like there's all kinds of issues with, with his ideology and politics, but I think that it's just unhealthy to run an organization for that long, especially when it's a volunteer role. If it's paid, it's different. Um, I would be open to staying on as an at-large member, possibly, and helping to fill committee positions or do something so that we have like an easy changing of the guard. But I really want to, if I do a second term, and I I probably will, if I do a second term, I want to be mentoring the person who's going to take over for me, because I think that's really important. And we got to start changing the culture, right? Like I know we're going to do elections, people get elected. But I think that we need to start looking at this as more, well, we need to treat it more like a private organization. You know that triggers a lot of people, but, you know, come to terms with it. We want to be successful. We need to treat it more like we really own it because that's how you get long-term plans enacted is when people who are in positions of leadership are on the same page and they're committed. So that's, that's kind of how I feel about that.
0: Yeah. So what do you think about the free state project and organizations like that? Can the Libertarian Party uh, work with those types of organizations in the future more than it already does? Um, I would name another organization, but just nothing's coming to the mind. If you have any, go. Yeah. Uh, feel free to name them. But
1: I mean, absolutely. We need to work with a free state project. And what are some other ones? How about some of the smaller uh, gun advocacy, gun rights groups, not the NRA, but I think there's something called the Cardinal Group in West Virginia. Some of the state level gun owners of America groups are really great. We need to be friendly to those groups. We definitely need to be. Um, Students for Liberty and Yale, I, I know they seem kind of like lost causes, but, but I don't think that we necessarily need to abandon them. I think we need to get ourselves into a position where we're secure enough to be a good influence. Same with Cato. Even I won't even, I won't even write Cato off permanently. We'll, we'll take over all the things, right?
0: <laughs> I like it. Just do exactly what our enemies did to it and take it over. Exactly. From out.
1: exactly.
0: Um, so yeah, I just want to pick your brain on a couple things just so people know who they're voting for. Um, what is your view on the current crisis in, Ukraine, how did we get here and what should we do going forward as a country?
1: Okay, so I think we need to probably at the national level have a big campaign about uh, how evil NATO is. That would be fantastic. I think that our involvement with NATO has and all of the stuff that happened in 2014 with Ukraine, that led to where we're at now. None of this stuff was highlighted very well in the news. I mean, I guess not literally none. Everybody knew that something happened in Ukraine with some sort of coup in 2014. I feel like that's about all people know, though. And then something happened with Hunter Biden while Trump was president. And then that was a thing, right? We should probably talk about that sort of stuff more and we should frame it in the context of how it actually impacts i don't want to use the word geopolitical but you know politics in the world i think that's really important let's see what else did you ask how should we address it
0: well what should our message to our country be what should the united states do going forward as far as the conflict goes
1: we need to stay out of it and we really need to distance ourselves from nato and we need to pressure them to just do everything as possible and I think we really need to shame Joe Biden and Hunter Biden for all of their involvement in this mess. What's really disappointing is how the national libertarian party shies away from anything that the Republicans talk about. Cause we're just terrified of being associated with them. And we got to get over that. Mm-hmm. We got to get over that. Like it's, it's a great opportunity when some politician does something reprehensible and corrupt and questionable regarding a foreign government money you know paying them taking payments from them yeah i really hate nato a lot we got to talk about nato i think that will that will make a big impact uh we need to talk about how selling weapons is a terrible thing to do Uh, i don't want to sell weapons to ukraine that's not good i don't think that that's healthy we need to talk about how putting sanctions and embargoes on Russia are not a good, that's not a good strategy either. And all of the ugly conflicts that we have across the world and how it, how things that have happened, how they further alienated Russia and pushed them into the arms of other countries that hate us. That's, that's an uncomfortable topic that we need to explore. I think what we really need is we need someone like, so Dave Benner comes to mind. I, he's more like historical. He's running for region rep, uh, an LNC position. But he's really good at explaining history.
0: He's from we, Tennessee, right? Dave Benner. Yeah. Yep.
1: We need someone who's good at explaining these things in a way that's not boring. And we need to get that message out there because it's not always, you can't capture it all in a meme. You can't capture it all in a tweet. We need people who are really skilled messengers who understand international conflicts to get out there and really break it down and and do it in a way that you know hopefully it'll go viral
0: yeah so i know this is going to be a similar answer but it's the other side of the aisle what should we do if china invades taiwan what should the united states response be
1: oh man it's really sucky well we can acknowledge that it sucks but do we want to go to war with china i think that's the first question you need to ask yourself because I don't want to go to war with China. And I think that we should talk about what the implications of that would be. And I don't think that it would be right to arm Taiwan in a military conflict. Now I feel bad for them. It's really sucky. And you know, I support mutual aid efforts. I would probably support political asylum, but we got to find peaceful ways to address that, like we can't just be going to war with everybody because you know they're our friends or... This is an interesting one though, because there's all these like agreements and we have all these entangling alliances and that's probably a really good way to address that and talk about that. I don't even know all of the agreements that we have with Taiwan, but I guarantee you there's a lot, especially because of the tech industry, like they're really big producers of products that we consume So that's also something to be aware of, you
0: know? Yeah. So what about, um, what about dealing with inflation? What should our response be to how we deal with it? Not so, I mean, we can always go back to how we got here by printing all this money and everything, but what should our answer be when people wonder, what do we do going forward to solve this problem?
1: Okay. So, One of the things we need to do several things. One is to honestly highlight, I guess you'd say kind of agorist lifestyles and ways that people can literally survive when they're having trouble paying their bills. And that's not something that I see come out of the libertarian party ever is workarounds and how do real people solve problems. Another thing we need to talk about, obviously, we need to explain how it happened. And we need to tell people, like, stop voting for these people. So, and it was Republicans, too. Yeah, And I don't usually I hate on Democrats more than Republicans. But for crying out loud, like all but what? Three of them. It might have <laughs> only been two. Yeah. Three of them. Rand Paul wasn't there. Justin Amash abstained. Thomas Massey voted No. But I think all the rest of the Republican Freedom Caucus just folded like a lawn chair. And they all voted for this. It's just gross. Mm-hmm. It's gross behavior. So we need to remind people, like, dude, these, these people are, they caused it. They're the ones who've driven up all of the prices and encourage people, like, don't ever set yourself up for a scenario where this shit's going to happen again where you're folding over for lockdowns and you're just like, Oh, I'm just going to go home yeah. six months to flatten the curve. There won't be any consequences. We have to like, defend against that. Whatever the next freaking crisis is, you know, take a sick day and then leave it at that.
0: <laughs> yeah. Uh, what about, um, you know, Biden has continued his war on drugs, not quite as vociferously as he did in the past, but he's been banning menthols, stuff like that. Uh, What should our messaging be about drugs? I know, uh, so I thought they did this two years ago. I thought Oregon legalized all drugs two years ago, but I'm hearing it actually just went into effect like a couple months ago or something. Um, And it seems like because of how failed a state Oregon is, you know, with all the homelessness and um, everything that went on in 2020. It, it seems like people are going to be blaming the legalization of drugs on the downfall of that state. How do we respond to that? Um, how do we? Because I had a friend call me and ask me this actually a couple of weeks ago. I had to try to explain to him why Oregon is falling apart because of its culture and right. because of a whole bunch of different things. But how should we respond when people ask us really legalize all drugs? Is that what we should really do? Isn't that kind of rash? What would, what should the response be?
1: Well, I think we're going to need to find better examples than Oregon. So I think Portugal is one. It's not perfect, right? They don't have like a totally free market government and it's not, I don't actually believe that they have a completely open decriminalization. I think it's that if you get in trouble Or drug abuse, you end up going before like a drug abuse court and they help you rehabilitate your life. Not what I'm aiming for, but it's still better their incarceration rate is lower. So I think we need to point out where we can, where incarceration rates and poverty and crime have been reduced as a result of decriminalization. A great example would be Colorado in California, to a certain extent obviously not in LA where we have an awful progressive DA who basically says that property theft is not a big deal. Neither is violent crime, Mm -hmm. but we got to tell the stories of places where it's successful. And we also got to tell the story of like, why is Oregon a disaster? Why, what happened in Portland? What happened with all the riots that their government was just like, yeah, it's okay. We'll let it happen. It's gross. It's disgusting behavior. A lot of that though, it's it's a cultural change. So to a certain extent, we can help that. And we do need to help shift the culture. But we also probably need to elevate people who are doing a better job of it than we are. Yeah, for sure. Because you, you can't you can't vote your way into morality, even if it's decriminalizing drugs. Like people have to care. They have to give a shit about their own life.
0: Yeah, how do we tell them that as a party? Because that's kind of tough. You know, I as an individual can certainly tell people, um, you know, this is what gives me uh, self-sufficiency. This is what makes me feel valuable. Uh, You know, it can be religion, it can be family, it can be community, it can be whatever it is. But would it just be that approach? Just telling each individual in the party, you know, (laughs) take care of yourself and then be an extension of yourself by being an example to other people as to how to be better or h- how do we tackle that as a party? Cause that's kind of tough. Cause the party yeah. represents thin libertarianism, not really, a, you know, I mean, there, there are cultural aspects to Liberty, but when it comes to like actual specifics like religion or family or whatever, um, h- how do we tackle that problem?
1: We got to combat nihilism. And I think one of the ways that we do that is by emphasizing personal responsibility And that is something that I don't see talked about very much from the national party and not from, maybe not from state parties either, you know, no offense, state parties. I think that partly it's because we're so focused right now on fighting back against the state and we've been robbed of our natural rights. And so we're always pushing back against that. So we have very good reason to focus on that. But I think we would really bring it into balance by talking about personal responsibility and elevating that because it shows a couple of things, right? Like we're not insane. We're not like when people think of anarchists, they think of what Antifa throwing a trash can through a Starbucks window. That's not us. When we say we don't want government, we don't mean that we have contempt for every aspect of society and we wanna burn everything to the ground. We just believe that we're empowered to make our own decisions and that we literally know what's best for our lives. But we gotta be an example for that. And, and I think that would probably go a long way because I feel that culturally, like we live in a time where people are desperate for meaning in their lives and they're searching for it. And that's why so many people idolize so many of these gross politicians. We've got to remind people, like they've got to go out and find meaning in their lives if they want to be fulfilled. And if they want to fix all of the cultural problems that are happening right now in the United States.
0: absolutely all right well we'll wrap it up now um the convention yeah it's like two two and a half weeks away um what would you recommend people sign up for by the way and i'm asking this myself too i'm looking at all the options i know ron paul's gonna be there uh tom woods is gonna be there i think he's doing a breakfast and scott horton's doing stuff and so what, what what would you recommend people sign up for other than just going there and voting? Got uh, it. What, what fun things are on the horizon?
1: So if you're a delegate, you don't technically have to sign up because you're a delegate, you're in, you can go to business. If you want to help the national party out financially, which I am inheriting as the next chair, so please help me out so that we're not in a financial crisis, I'd say at least sign up for the basic package. That gets you into trainings on Thursday. Some of them are fantastic. Some of them are not. If you want to get, if there's one class you want to take on Thursday and you want to know a little bit about, you want to learn more about libertarians and some of the information we got from the Joe Jorgensen campaign. And, and you want to know, you want to know the dirt and you want to have the curtain pulled back, go to Dave Schrader's trainings because the the data that he did, it's going to make a lot of people clutch their pearls. So fill those, fill those trainings up. Those are going to be really good. Um, Tom Woods breakfast is Friday morning. I think it's $75 for the a la carte option. If you purchase one of the larger packages that includes all the speakers, then you get that. Uh, I believe Scott Horton is speaking for lunch. And I think that's also on Friday. It's probably also a $75 a la carte option. So weigh your costs, right? The basic package is like 200 bucks. And then if you want to do both of those talks, that's adding 150. So go see what is actually included so that you're spending your money in the wisest way possible. The Friday night event with Ron Paul is hosted by the Mises Caucus and it's free. And we can fit several hundred people in that room. I recommend you get there early, but I'm pretty sure there's going to be enough room for everyone. Dave Smith is doing comedy, two shows Thursday night. And I believe at least one of them, maybe the earlier show is not sold out yet. So look for tickets for that. There is a gala event Saturday night. I have not decided whether or not I am going yet. That is just a traditional fundraising event. I'm on the fence, right? Because I'm, well, I'm gonna be exhausted. So (laughs) I might wanna rest. But as the next chair, it would probably be good for me to show up to that. So I haven't decided how I'm going to how I'm going to do that yet. Um, And then Sunday night, we're having a wrap party with the Mises Caucus again. So that's that's free for everyone to attend.
0: Awesome. Well, I know you already know this, but just in case anyone watching has any misgivings, I 100 percent endorse you for chair. You have my vote. I will be there in reno to vote for you and if you are a delegate and you signed up or whatever like make sure you get to reno uh make sure you do it like i know it might be tough and you might need help or whatever but just reach out to people in your state party if you're in utah reach out to me or if you're nearby or whatever uh reach out to anyone and we'll try to all help you get there and this is really important and uh I, I don't know. I, I'm hoping things go well. I think they will, too. But I think it's good yeah. to be, uh, you know, cautious and careful. And we know the other side has dirty tricks that they've played over, especially the last year. But I think we'll emerge victorious. But we got to all show up and be there. It's like Nick Sarwark said, the party is made of the people who show up. So let's That's right. show up.
1: That's right. <laughs> show up. Be prepared for a fight. Try to compose yourself and maintain as much, you know, like grace and be the better person, but show up ready for a fight. And Absolutely. you got to show up because the reason that we're guaranteed to win is because everybody's showing up. Once we start saying, eh, you'll take care of it, that's when things start to get shaky. Yeah.
0: All right. Well, thank you for joining me tonight, Angela. Uh, I got your Twitter in the description where people can follow you. Is there anything else you want to say or anywhere else you want people to keep
1: up with you? Um, you can follow me at AngelaMcArdle.com if you want any more exciting updates before Reno. I have a Patreon that I also have a lot of supporters on that I use to basically chair the party full-time. So I'm almost reached my goal. That's Patreon.com forward slash AngelaMcArdle.
0: All right. Thanks, Angela. I will see you in a couple of weeks and I will vote for you when I'm there.
1: Thank you. Looking forward to it.
0: All right.